What do we do when the unexpected happens? We often want to give up. If you lived in a northern state that had lots of snow, I'm sure you would want to give up. After one storm, after another, after another. Yes, Rex knows all about that living in Maine for a time. And so, but it can be just things every day that wants to make you give up. I know sometimes when I'm washing the dishes and I think I've got them all done and then I turn around and see the stove and see the stack of them there, I just want to give up. I don't want to do any more dishes. And maybe it's the same with the laundry. You forget, oh, there's another closet with another hamper in it. Or just during the day, living daily life, not just the chores of life, but there can be things more serious that come into life and you just say, I can't go on. There's too much hurt, there's too much pain, there's too much suffering, there's too much on me. It's overwhelming. I just want to give up. And what would a sermon be without a cat meme? And so maybe this is how you would feel. I just want to give up. When we come to Joseph and his life, you can imagine why he would want to give up. A life where he was hated by his brother, sold into slavery, and then put into prison, and then made second in command, but he's living in Egypt, far from his family, and living in a foreign culture, in a foreign land. You can imagine that many times in all of those unexpected turns, he would want to just give up. But he did not give up, and because of that, we learned four lessons this morning from his life about not giving up on God. The first thing we learn is that we must keep God first. Now, parents, I want you to think about when your children leave home. When they leave home to go to college, or maybe they're getting married, or maybe they are getting a job and they're moving away. But especially think about your high schooler when he or she's going off to college. What's one of the things that you worry about? Uh, You worry about, hey, I'm not going to be there to help them. I'm not going to be there to see what they're doing on the weekends. And so maybe this is what they're going to be doing on the weekends. And you're kind of worried, are they just going to give up on their faith and what I've taught them and what they learned about God? Are they going to go wild because I'm not there? I mean, think about Joseph. I mean, he wasn't there by choice, but he left home forcibly and was in a foreign culture that knew nothing about God, a godless culture. So you can imagine, especially for him, that he would just focus on surviving because he's far from home. He's in a place where there's no talk of his God. And I don't think we would be too hard on him if he compromised, maybe even if he did something that was wrong, just so that he could survive his life. You know, if he had to worship the Egyptian gods, we might understand why he would do that. If he walked like an Egyptian, maybe, does any, I guess maybe no one gets that, uh, that reference. Okay, anyway, all you 80s music fans. If he had to walk like an Egyptian so that he could survive, we would understand why he would do that. Wouldn't we, we, uh, we might say, be disappointed in him, but we would understand it. That he would give up what he had learned, he would give up his faith, because he's a victim. He needs to survive. That's not what Joseph had in his mind. 
in his heart. He wasn't thinking about surviving his slavery or his imprisonment. He was thinking about serving God first, even though he was in that circumstance. This is seen most directly in the time he's in Potiphar's house. When he's sold as a slave, he's in a house of a man named Potiphar, and Potiphar sees that God is blessing Joseph, so he puts him in charge of everything in his house. But Potiphar's wife notices that Joseph is handsome, and she wants Joseph to sleep with her, and she's very persistent about it. She's constantly asking and harassing and trying to get him. One day they are alone and she sees her chance. But Joseph, again, wasn't thinking about surviving. If he was, he probably would have said yes to her. Because that would have kept the peace. That would have made things easier for him. That would have kept him at least as a slave, but in a place where at least he was second command of the house. But he wasn't thinking about simply surviving this ordeal of slavery. He was thinking about keeping God first in his life. And so he says to her, No one in this house is greater than I am. Potiphar has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. So how could I do such a great evil and sin against God? He, didn't worry, he wasn't worrying about pleasing Potiphar or pleasing Potiphar's wife. He was worrying about pleasing God. And that's why he would not sleep with her. So again, think about it. Others might say, I've just got to make it through this. I don't want to be here. I shouldn't be here. My brother's got me here. I am just going to survive. I'm going to give up on everything I ever learned just so I can make it. But not Joseph. He put God first. In our lives, we're tempted as well at times when things are difficult to give up on God. Sometimes we're so angry at God that we just don't want Him near us. Sometimes we may feel like we have served the Lord and tragedy has happened to us and we say, what's the use? If serving Him brings this suffering, then I just give up. I'll go do what I want to do. I'll live my life my way if this is what serving the Lord brings me. So we too are tempted to give up on God, give up on our faith, go our own way when we find ourselves in a place where it's overwhelming with suffering or grief. Or we find ourselves in a place where it seems like All we can do is survive. We'll do whatever is necessary, not thinking about God. But Joseph didn't do that, and we shouldn't either. You see, Joseph also learned something, that when he stayed with God, God was with him. In Genesis 39, in the story of Potiphar's wife, it says this about Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. In verse 21, it says again, the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. Joseph stayed close to God. God stayed close to Joseph. Because this is the truth. In that midst of where he was, the only way he could survive was with God. 
He needed God more then than he did when he was comfortable at home with his dad doting on him and giving him a coat of many colors. Isn't it easy at times to follow God when things are going well? When it seems as though God is blessing and there's not a lot of problems, not a lot of pain, uh, things seem to be going well. It's kind of easy then to sing a song of praise to God. It's kind of easy then to praise Him for what He's blessed us with, to thank Him, to worship Him. But it's when the times get hard. That's when we're tempted to give up. If God's treating me this way, then why serve Him? Why follow Him? But that's when we need God the most. When the time's darkest, that's when we need Him. Joseph knew that. That's why he focused on God, obeyed God, and the Lord was right there with him. God also heals brokenness. We learn this from Joseph's life. We often focus on his story about his slavery and his imprisonment, but if we back up a little bit, we find out that he came from a very dysfunctional family. And that's putting it lightly. Okay? I think that's understatement. I could go all the way back to his father Jacob and even to his grandfather Isaac and his great-grandfather, Abraham. I won't go back that far. Let's think about Jacob for a moment. If you remember, he came to his uncle, Laban, and then he had to work for his wife. And so he wanted to marry Rachel. And his uncle tricked him, and he ended up marrying Rachel's sister, Leah. Now, guys, wouldn't you be angry if that happened (laughs) to you? I still am baffled how that happened, but it did. And so now he's got a wife he does not want, he does not love, but he also has Rachel, whom he loved dearly. And then, because he didn't really love Rachel, he didn't give Leah much attention, God saw that, and so God did something for Leah. God allowed her to have children, and Rachel couldn't. And so Leah had sons for Jacob. Rachel got jealous, and so she says, well, if I can't have any children, I have a servant, I'll give my servant to Jacob. And that's what she did, and Jacob agreed. And so through her servant, Rachel was having children with Jacob. But then Leah saw that, and she said, well, if that's going to happen, I'll give him my servant. So so Leah's giving Jacob her servant. So now you've got Leah, Rachel, two servants, there's four women. That's dysfunctional, isn't it? Okay. They have, finally, God does give Rachel a son. His name is Joseph. So when Joseph's born, at that time, there's 11 sons. There's a daughter, Dinah. Dinah is raped. Her brothers seek revenge and murder a whole town. Jacob loved Rachel. They had another son, but she died in childbirth. So can you imagine Joseph for a moment? He's born into a family with four women bearing children, okay? His sister is raped. His brothers become murderers to take revenge. His mom dies in childbirth. His father loves him so much that he favors him over all the rest. That's always good for a family, isn't it? So this is the family that he grows up in. There is some brokenness. 
But God healed that. You know how I know that? Listen to what happened to Joseph. When he was in Egypt, he did have a wife, and this is what he named his first son. Two sons were born to Joseph before the years of famine arrived. Asneth, daughter of Potiphar, now this is a different guy than Potiphar. Notice this guy is a priest. But Ashna was Joseph's wife, bore them to him. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, meaning God has made me forget all my hardship. Now notice, not in Egypt, in my father's house. Joseph realized that God had healed his hurt and his soul. God had been doing it all along, I believe, but when his son was born, he really realized what God had been doing all along. And that God brought healing in the midst of all that brokenness in his family, in his father's house. See, even though Joseph was favored, even though he had his coat of many colors, that family was not a place of comfort and ease for him or any in that family. It was a broken, dysfunctional one. But God healed it. I love Psalm 147.3. It says, God heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. I know if you live long enough, and that doesn't have to be very long, (laughs) as a child, as a young adult, you are going to be hurt. Your heart's going to be broken. Your soul is going to be pierced. There's going to be pain and hurt and suffering. But Joseph shows us that God heals that. God heals it. And so if you're in a place right now where your heart is broken, your soul hurting, call out to God because He does heal the brokenhearted, and he binds up our wounds. And maybe if you think your life is difficult, think about what happened to Joseph and his family and his life. But even he saw God healing him in the midst of all of that that he went through. God heals the brokenhearted. But this is what's even more powerful about what God does. It's not as though we have to hurt and suffer for a time, and then eventually God gets around to healing us. Now, of course, it does take time for healing. Physically, we're not healed immediately unless God does perform a miracle, which He can do. But even if you get sick, it takes a few days. If you break a bone, it takes a few weeks. It's the same with our hearts. But we don't have to wait till the healing is done. For God to bless us and for us to see it. But I think that's the problem. Too many times we're focused on the hurt and we're impatient because we want to be healed quickly and we forget to see what God's doing right now in our midst. Joseph had another son. His second son he named Ephraim, meaning God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Now he is talking about Egypt. Egypt was a place of affliction for Joseph. Who would disagree with that? But it was there in the midst of the affliction that God made him fruitful. 
Not after the affliction, in the affliction. In fact, we see that in the stories about him. If you go back to Genesis 39, it says the Lord was with Joseph, and he became, listen, a successful man. He's a slave, successful man. Those two don't usually go together. They did in Joseph's case. When he was in prison, the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. He granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. You see, Joseph stayed close to God. The Lord was with Joseph close to him, and because of that, God blessed him, made him fruitful, made him successful in slavery. Not after he got out of slavery, in prison. Not after he got out of prison. While he was in the midst of the affliction, God blessed him. In fact, if you look, when he was in slavery, he was head of Potiphar's house. When he was in prison, he was head of the prisoners. When there was a famine, he was a leader, he was head over Egypt. That might have been the worst job he had. Can you imagine being an administrator for a whole nation? He might have wished he was back in prison. I don't know. (laughs) But wherever he was in the land of affliction, God blessed him and made him fruitful. Gave him a family a wife, two sons. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but those two sons become very important in the history of Israel. And their names become two of the twelve tribes of Israel. The sons that were born to him in the land of his affliction. The son that made him forget the turmoil in his house. This is what God did for Joseph. Now, I'm going to use maybe, you might think, it's kind of a silly illustration, but I think it has an important point, so bear with me. We all love beautiful rainbows, don't we? Now, I know you can make them. If you have a sunny day, you get a water hose, you can spray the water into the sun, and you'll create a rainbow. But the ones that we love to look at that make our jaw drop The ones that we take pictures of are not from a garden hose. They are from what? A thunderstorm. If you think about it, you cannot have one of those big, beautiful rainbows without a storm. That doesn't happen. And think about this. The rainbow itself is a sign from God. It's a sign. It's a promise. He says, I will never flood the earth again. I love that. Every time I see the rainbow, I'm reminded of His promise. But it has to be in a storm for us to be reminded of His promise, to see the beauty of the rainbow. You can't have the beauty without the storm. You can't have the rainbow without the storm. You don't see the promise without the storm. And so my point is, I know that a cancer diagnosis is much more serious than a thunderstorm. But even in the midst of that storm of life, there can be blessing. There can be fruitfulness. There can be hope. You don't have to wait until you beat the cancer for there to be blessing. You don't have to wait for your affliction and your hurt and your pain to be over before you see signs of God's blessing, of signs of God's great uh, mercy, signs of how great God is. You can see them 
look for them. Because sometimes I think we kind of waste the suffering that we have because we're so focused on and want to get rid of it so bad that we just focus on getting rid of it. Rather, nothing wrong with that, getting rid of it. But while you're getting rid of it, look today, look around, and see how God is blessing now. And have hope and faith that He will bring more blessing later. Joseph also teaches us this. God always has a plan. Have you ever been in a corn maze or a, a garden maze? If you're in one as it comes up here, there it is. When you're in that maze, you can't see very much at all, can you? Like, look at this picture. All you can see is a few feet in front of you, and then you have a choice to make. You've got to go right or you have to go left. You have no idea when you turn right what you're going to run into. You have no idea when you turn left what you're going to run into. In a maze, you can go backwards. In life, you can't, okay? But you can't see what's going on. You're down on the ground. But what if you're above the ground? Those corn mazes and garden mazes look a lot different. They can have words in them. Uh, they may have tractors or trains in them. They may even have faces in them. That is the maze from above, not on the ground. You see, God always has a plan. Even though we may never understand it, see it, in our life, we're living day by day, moment by moment. We make a choice to go right or to go left. We don't know where it's going to take us, but God does. He's got a plan. He's creating a picture. He's creating a tapestry. He's creating a corn maze, so to speak. That's going to be beautiful. That's going to be a perfect plan. But in the moment, we can't see that. You see, but Joseph had faith that God had a plan. It says in Genesis 45, this is when Joseph first reveals himself to his brothers. And we'll talk about that story next week, how he's reunited with his family. When he is and reveals himself, he says, please come near me. And they came near. He said, I'm Joseph, your brother, the one you sold into Egypt. And now don't be worried or angry with yourselves for selling me here, because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years without plowing or harvesting. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Listen to this sentence. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to the Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Joseph was able, in hindsight, to see the plan of God. Sometimes in life we do get that opportunity. And we're able to look back on our life and we say, Oh, yeah, now I see why that happened. Now I see how God used that. That's what Joseph was able to do. And notice what he said. He said, Brothers, hey, don't worry about the fact you threw me into a pit and sold me into slavery. You didn't send me down here. God sent me here. God wanted me down here 
so that I could be ruler in Egypt, so I could save the lives of these Egyptians, but more than that, I could save our family. And our family could survive. And after Joseph's life, the family really thrived and became a nation. It was all part of God's plan. He, he says it again at the end of Jacob's life. I shared this worth, verse with you last week. When Jacob passed away, the brothers thought Joseph was going to get his revenge. But he says to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Therefore, don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your little ones, and he, will comfort, and I, and he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. See, Joseph saw in hindsight God had a plan all along. But I also believe Joseph had faith when he was going through everything that God was going to work it all out. Because you see, there's some important things to remember about God's plan. We don't always have hindsight to see it. Sometimes we do, but sometimes we don't. Sometimes we never know why something happens. When we see the Lord face to face, we'll find out. But on this earth, we never know. I want you to also see here something important. God used evil. It was evil. It was sinful for his brothers to sell him into slavery. God used that evil to bring about good, but evil's not necessary. If that were the case, we should do a lot of bad things so God can make good things out of them, right? God was going to save Joseph's family and make them into a great nation. He was going to do that. He had promised that to Abraham. He had promised that to Isaac. He had promised that to Jacob. God was going to keep the family alive. If the brothers hadn't sold Joseph into slavery, God would have done it a different way. I believe if Joseph hadn't kept God first in his life, God wouldn't have used Joseph. He would have used somebody else. See, there would have been a different way God would have worked the plan. The story would be different, but God was going to make his plan come about. But that's what's so awesome about God. He has a perfect plan. He has a good plan. But he's able to use sin and evil to bring about a good plan. He doesn't need it to bring about a good plan, but he uses it to bring about a good plan. Now, isn't that a powerful God? Isn't that an awesome God who can do that? Who can take the choices of men and women who make terrible ones, sinful ones, evil ones, and still use those to bring about good. You see, we don't always have hindsight but we can always walk by faith. That's why I believe Joseph knew, even when he was in prison, even when he was in slavery, God has a plan. That's why Joseph didn't give up on God. That's why Joseph continued to obey God. That's why Joseph persevered, never gave up on his dreams, because he had faith that God was going to work it out, that God had a plan. Paul says we walk by faith, not by sight. If you only walk by sight, your life will be miserable. Because what do you see around us? If you read the news, you see nothing but violence and hatred 
If you look at your life, there's probably lots of disappointment and hurt and discouragement. If that's all you're looking at, you never get to see the view from above and see the plan that God is making. If you walk by faith, you don't have to see what God is making. You know He's making something. If you see with faith, you know that one day, ultimately, we're in heaven for eternity. It can't get any better than that. The plan can't get any more awesome than that. It's when you walk by faith, you're able to see how God is healing your brokenness. You're able to see the blessings that are around you. You're able to stay close to God and not give up on Him. And God then is able to do a plan in your life that ultimately gives glory to Him, but also is perfect for you. That's another thing that's awesome about God. How He has a plan that brings glory to Him, but also blesses us. So I'll leave you with this. Don't give up on God, because He won't give up on you. Again, when we need God the most is when we're most tempted to give up on Him. When life is difficult and hard and we can't see the future, that is when we're ready to give up and give up on Him. Well, that's when we need Him the most. And that's when He's right there with us. If we are believers, God never gives up on us. No matter how much we disappoint Him or how much we sin against Him or how much we fail, He doesn't give up on us. When we're suffering and we're hurting, it's not because He's given up on us. It's because He's working out a plan. He never gives up on us. Well, I'll give you one word of warning. The Bible does talk about God giving up on people. He gives up on people who reject Him continually. It seems from the book of Romans that at some point God just says, well, if that's what you want, that's what you get. If you don't want me, goodbye. And Paul gives a very stern warning to Christians, Christians who continually sin against God. It's extreme, it's the last resort. But Paul said, some Christians in Corinth, God took home. They were dead because they continued, continued and continued to sin against God. If you're a believer, you don't have to worry about God saying goodbye as He does to those who continue to reject Him. And of course, when you sin, if you confess, God is faithful and just to forgive. You don't have to worry about him saying it's time to come home because of that. You can know for certain that God won't give up on you. But I give you that last word of warning in case you are someone who has just rejected God continually. Don't reject him one more time. It may be the last. And if you just continue to sin against God and not care and not confess and just thumb your nose at God and don't do it anymore. You don't know when the last time may come. And God says, let's go. From Joseph's life, we have these words of comfort and hope. Listen to them today. Be encouraged by them. And allow God 
to bless you in your life, wherever you are in it. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have not only died for our sins so that we can be saved, but God, that you are concerned about our life every day. Not just our future in heaven. So Lord, I pray for myself, my brothers and sisters, because I know in a room with this many people, right now today there are people who are hurting. Lord, I pray that with the eyes of faith they would look to you and cling to you. And I pray in so doing, Lord, you would allow them to see the blessing that's in their life right now. That you would allow them to have faith of a future they may not be able to see, but that you are planning for them. I pray, Lord, that you would help them in their temptation just to give up on you. Because it seems like you've given up on them, but you haven't, Lord. I pray you would help them to cling to you even more and their faith be stronger. Because, Lord, they need you now more than ever.